0: We are in Hebrews chapter 5 this morning, but we are going to backtrack to the last few verses of chapter 4 since it's been a couple weeks, and there at the end of chapter 4 the author starts a new examination of Jesus. It's one of those times when the fellows who were dividing up the Bible into chapter and verse maybe could have done a little bit better job, but... (laughs) We've seen the Lord compared to angels and to Moses, and now he is contrasted with Aaron and every human high priest. And along with this new comparison, our author continues to do what he does in this book, where he weaves together and places side by side Christ with our Christianity. Um, as he develops more and more of who Christ is and what the Lord has accomplished, he always also intertwines a highlight of how we should respond by taking up our Christianity like never before in response to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And so let's look at our text and see what we see. We're going to start in Hebrews 4 verse 14. Uh, where this new thought begins. And he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Um, Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say. And hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Because Jesus has replaced all other high priests, because he is greater than Aaron, we who believe in him can progress further in our spiritual Spirituality than any Jew who was ever under the law. Uh, this text lays it all out for us that Jesus Christ is the only high priest we would ever need. He is the mediator between God and man, and there is no other. But God didn't put Jesus into that position so that there would be a greater distance or a greater formality between us and him. He called Jesus into that position so that we could have unrestricted nearness and access to, to him, and what this text means is that you and I, as believers in Christ, can have actual interaction with the God of the universe anytime we want, and that is an incredible thought. Uh, our High Priest has invited us into all nearness with Him. We don't really have time to go in depth in, in it right now, but there's a whole movement, or there's a real. Uh, enamoration right now of that many Christians have of becoming more formal and becoming more ritualistic in worship or in church or in the way that they relate to God. Uh, and, and the truth is, you, you read a passage like this and you see God coming and saying, yeah, I, I paved the way, I cleared those rituals, I cleared that distance out so that you could have unrestricted personal intimate access uh, to me right now. The problem was, that the Hebrews weren't really very concerned with forward progress in their Christianity. Remember, the author keeps warning them over and over again to pay closer attention to their spiritual lives. And again, in these verses, he warns them and he calls them out and he says, you know what? You guys are not paying attention to your forward movement as believers. You guys are not moving forward and that is unacceptable. Uh, Spiritually speaking, the Hebrews were kind of Toys R Us kids. I don't want to grow up. You know, I don't want to exercise. I just want to sit in my little, you know, little aquarium that I'm in. And I just want to play my games. I just want to drink chocolate milk all day. And that's good enough for me. And the author to the Hebrews and the Holy Spirit were saying, hey, this is not acceptable. This is not what you're called to. This is not what Christ has done for you. I can identify with this because if it were up to my son, Gino, all he would eat is milk. Literally, I mean, he, he, I love, I love him to death. He will, he would just eat, drink milk and nothing else. We have to ration his milk intake because if he, when he drinks too much milk, he won't eat anything else. So he gets a little bit of milk in the morning, a little bit of milk at night, and then all the time he comes up and asks, "Can I have some milky? Can I have some milky?" And we say, "No," because you won't eat your PBJ or you won't eat your mac and cheese or you won't eat anything else. He, he would be satisfied to only drink milk. As the Holy Spirit spoke through our Uh, author in Hebrews. He looked at the Hebrews Christianity in practice and he says, you know what? You guys are like a baby who won't gain weight. You're a baby who's not growing. Uh, our, Our boy Ezekiel is just about six months old now. And at the beginning of a baby's life, there are all kinds of scores and measures that the doctors track to make sure that things are progressing properly and normally. You know, you've got the Apgar test, and then you have the regular length, weight, and head circumference measurements. And right there at the beginning, you know, you have all all of these pediatrician well baby checkups. They, They say, you know, where they go, and they do all their measurements and things like that. And at the very beginning, it's kind of concentrated where, you know, he sees... The pediatrician sees the baby right after birth, then a week, then the next week. then And then and, and they start spreading out once you hit a year. Um, but those they have those charts where they plot your kid's measurements, whether it's length or, or weight or like head circumference. And they have these charts where you see where your child lands compared to the average. And obviously they're not, you're not meant to be perfect or, you know, it's not meant to be, it's not like a pass-fail sort of thing. But the idea is that the growth charts show a normal pattern of progress for a human baby, a normal average pattern of progress. And if your kid is on an extreme or if your baby stops gaining weight for two weeks or three weeks or six weeks, that's a strong indicator to a pediatrician that something is very wrong because this is the chart of growth that every other baby on average sees. Here in Hebrews 5, we have a generic spiritual growth chart there at the end. It's a litmus of things a growing Christian should be seeing in their lives as they mature and become more fruitful and move forward in their walk with the Lord. Remember, it's a walk with the Lord. It's not a stand with the Lord. Over and over again, God speaks to us about growth and progress and development in our relationship with him. And there are ways for us to tell if we are keeping pace with Jesus, uh, who is leading us somewhere, or if we have stopped growing. There are three in our text let's take them in order of appearance even though they're not meant to be understood as chronological in a person's spiritual maturity it's not that you know in the list the first one happens then the second then the third they're just three things Uh, and we're going to look at those indicators as we see them the first is in verse 12 a growing christian should be able to teach spiritual principles to others not everyone is gifted to teach not everyone is anointed to teach Uh, But as we grow in our Christianity, we all should be able to pass along our spiritual knowledge to other people. The author here says, hey, you guys should be teaching people. He does not say everyone should be a pastor. He said, but you you guys should be teaching people, but you can't. Uh, and, And they had failed that first test of growth. If someone needs to be instructed in how to be saved, we as Christians are responsible to teach them, teach that information to them. Uh, a growing Christian should have no problem relaying the information. The delivery can be difficult. The delivery can be a little bit nerve wracking, but the information you should have. If, if, If the Philippian jailer came up to you and said, what must I do to be saved? Man, if you're a Christian, you should be able to relay that information. You fast forward a few years into your faith. If a brand new Christian comes along to you as someone who's been saved and who's been growing in the Lord and asks you, hey, how do I figure out what my spiritual gift is? We should be able to tell them how to figure that out. We should be able to pass along that information and teach them. If a new convert wants to know, hey, how I just got saved. How is a Christian supposed to live their life? We're the ones who are supposed to tell them. If we can't teach people about our Christianity, then according to verse 12, we have failed the first test of a growing Christian. The problem for the Hebrews was that they weren't internalizing what they were being taught. It's not that they weren't being taught anything, they were. They were a church, you know, they were gathering together, they were being taught in their churches and, and they would go and they would hear God's word, they'd hear their pastor speak, but it didn't sink in, they weren't ingesting it. Uh, the, the field of their hearts wasn't producing fruit. The special, uh, The second spiritual growth test in our text is in verse 13. Or it says that a growing Christian should be skilled in the word. It says that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. God's word is essential to our lives and to our living. That's our sword. Uh, just, just in the last chapter, we were reminded that the Bible is like a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it divides. Uh, in Ephesians six seventeen, it's listed in, in the armor of God, and it's listed as the only offensive weapon that we're given by the Spirit in the armor of God. A Christian who doesn't know his way around the word simply isn't going to do much damage for the kingdom of God. That's, that's just the way that it's laid out for us. The Hebrews were neglecting the word. They were unskilled, the text says. The Greek word used in this verse is the same that would be used in the study of grammar in the way that we would say the ABCs. He was saying, hey, you guys, don't, you guys know the ABCs of, of the word, but you don't know anything else. Uh, they had the most basic fundamentals down, and that's great, but that and that was it. And, and the whole point is that, hey, you guys aren't moving past the ABCs. You're staying in kindergarten in your faith, even though you've been there year after year after year after year. And um, they neglected to move forward in their understanding of God's word. Now, if we use the example that the Greek uses, the ABCs. The ABCs are important, right? We all start there, we all start at the ABCs. No one, you know, is born with an understanding of grammar and language, it has to be built, it has to start with the alphabet. And the ABCs are important because that's where it all begins, but if we want to be successful, productive members of a society, we have to move past the ABCs, that's kind of the first thing we have to do, right? We have to learn how to read and how to write and how to communicate. Uh, We've got to move on to words and sentences and language. Uh, The same is true with the Bible. It's given to us for study and to apply to our lives continually. And so a healthy Christian is always going to be growing in his understanding of God's word. He's always going to be growing in his skill with God's word. That doesn't mean we all go to seminary. That's not what we're instructed to do. The Bible doesn't tell us all to go get a formal education in the Bible. We're instructed to feed on the word. You know, the Bible says, hey, take this, take this word of God that's been delivered to you and nourish yourself with it and feed it and study it and apply it to your heart and and write it on the tablet of your heart uh, so that it can nourish our lives. The third spiritual growth test is in verse 14, says a growing Christian will exercise discernment. Now, I think a lot of Christians go through life without exercising discernment, but we really shouldn't be intimidated by discernment as a fruit in our lives or understanding what that's all about. It seems a little bit hard to grasp, but our author here gives it as one of the basic noticeable demonstrations of Christian growth. You know, you know. sometimes people talk about discernment, and, and because we don't see it exercised a lot in the church or in Christianity, you know, where we live, it seems like this kind of weird, mystical thing. But here, I think it's interesting, the author is saying, no, 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 using discernment is one of the basic, you know, demonstrations that you're growing. You should be able to identify that. Uh, in your life discernment means that we're able to decide the difference between good and evil between what is godly and what is not godly now that would be very difficult if we hadn't been given the holy spirit to live with us all day every day Jesus said, hey, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to live with you all day, every day, and to help you so that you can have discernment. He's going to counsel you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to tell you what to say, what not to say. He's going to show you what to do, what not to do. I mean, that's discernment, allowing uh, the, the Holy Spirit to help us and counsel us and give us his discernment. You know, we're not called to generate discernment ourselves. We're not called to divine that ourselves. We're called to exercise discernment, which has been given to us by our helper, the Holy Spirit, which means that we're called to weigh our decisions and our words and our thoughts through the discernment of what what is godly and what is not, which has already been supplied by the Holy Spirit who is with us day in and day out, no matter where we are, no matter where, what we're doing. You see people in the Bible exercising incredible discernment sometimes. When you look at the apostles in the book of Acts, or or you see a guy like Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my favorite examples of discernment, because he had this project he was doing, and there were all these weird things that kept happening, and people would come and say, you need to come to this meeting, or people would come and say, hey, you need to do this, or you need to do that, and, and he had to sift through all of that. And sometimes what people were telling him to do were traps so that they could kill him. And there's no way he would know that except for that he allowed the Lord to explain it to him and he, he exercised discernment, godly discernment and said, yeah, I don't need to go to that meeting. I don't need to go to that meeting because here's what I'm doing. Yeah, I don't need to say this. I don't need to write this letter. I don't need to ask for that. I do need to do this. And it's, an, it's a great example of the Holy Spirit giving us discernment and an individual exercising discernment. And Certainly the... Uh, The apostles in the book of Acts are are excellent examples as well. They were discerning truth and what was right even when the evidence in front of them was confusing or, or even contrary. And the truth is that discernment is available to all of us as Christians. And a growing Christian, according to the Bible, exercises discernment in their lives, meaning that we filter the things we think and the things that we hear and the choices that we make through what the Holy Spirit says to our hearts. Uh, these things are the mark of a, are the marks of a Christian who is growing and who's moving forward with the Lord, and they 're possible because Jesus Christ has perfected the work and office of high priest. He has come and perfected what Aaron and his sons represented to mankind. You know when Aaron or one of his descendants were your priest, there was only so far you could go in your spiritual progress in one sense. Um, there was always you know an inner court that you could not go into there was this distance there's a separation between you and intimacy with God uh, because Aaron and, and the high priest had to stand between you and that place. There was this imposed distance because that system could not be perfected by a human high priest, a human being. And there was also a sense I was as I was thinking about this that you know if you were a believer who loved the Lord, There were things that the Lord was gonna be teaching you and and there was gonna be growth, but there was a sense that there was kind of a reset every single week. Every single Sabbath, you'd kind of be back at the same place before Jesus came and died on the cross. You'd be back at the same place where you had come to the end of your week and you, and, you, and you had to go to temple and receive atonement for your sins. And you could be growing in your personal life. You could be growing in the word. But every Sabbath, you were reminded of the fact that, man, I have to go get atonement for my sins. I have to reset. I'm back kind of at square one where I need to bring my offering and have it atoned uh, because this system has not been perfected yet. And so there was a sense that every Sabbath, you had to start over. Um, And there was a perpetual stall in, in your spiritual progress in regard to atonement. But then Jesus comes along and he takes the reins of this whole system and he changes everything. He changes everything for human beings. Instead of atoning for sin every week, as we've already seen in Hebrews and as we see in the New Testament, Jesus Christ has purged our sins once and forever. He says, hey, I took your sins past, present, and future, and I have purged them. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin, but it means that God has dealt with them. We don't have to keep going and, and crucifying Jesus over and over again. We don't have to go keep offering over and over again. God comes and he says, listen, I have forgiven you if you will receive my forgiveness. You get to get, you know, if we come to the cross with our sins where Jesus deals with them, he then picks us up and sets us on the other side of the cross and says, head that way, head towards heaven, head. Forward in in progress with me. We don't always have to keep coming around to the front side of the cross and saying, "Oh man, I gotta, I have to get atonement again. I have to get saved again." The Lord said, "No, I dealt with that. I purged your sins forever. I set you on the other side of the cross. I set you on the other side of the resurrection. And now I want you to move forward uh, in that. Instead of you having to go to the temple to do business with God." Jesus Christ came along and he took the reins and he says, you know what, forget that. I'm going to abide in you. You don't have to come to me anymore. I'm going to come and live in you. I'll make you my temple. And you interact with me in your heart and in your mind and, and in your devotion." Instead of a priest hearing from God and then delivering that message to you, the word of God has been complete and delivered right into your lap so that we can feed on it anytime we want. Instead of coming between you and God, like Aaron did, uh, Jesus tore open the veil of the temple so and he said, hey, you can have unrestricted access to me. If we can pause for a moment to think about that, think about how the Lord removed that uh, distance. Hopefully, we're encouraged to, man, get in the throne room as often as we can. As we saw at the end of chapter 4, it says, hey, go boldly before the throne of grace because Jesus Christ has torn the veil and made a way for you to go in there. And so, you know, hopefully, if we think about what God has done, we will think, man, I need to get into the throne room right now. I have access to the King of Kings, I have access to the God of the universe. Maybe I should interact with him a little bit today. God says you don't have to pray to a saint, you don't have to pray to a priest, you don't have to pray to a voicemail. He says, man, you can go boldly interact with me anytime you want, and anytime you pray, anytime you submit to the Holy Spirit, you can interact with the God of the universe. That's a big deal. Because of all of these changes that Jesus has brought as high priest, we should never be stuck at square one in our spiritual lives. And frankly, a Christian shouldn't stay, really stay stuck in any stage of their Christian life, there should always be a forward momentum. There should always be a growth and a fruitfulness when it comes to our Christianity. If we are stuck and we know we're stuck, if we fail these tests of growth that we're given, Uh, if we can't seem to push into the next level of our spirituality, then Hebrews would say, we need to grow up. Hebrews would say, hey, there's nothing stopping you. There's no obstacle that God has placed in your way. He has cleared all of those things away so that you can move forward and get where he wants you to be. He has paved the way, all the way, for us to get to the fruitfulness and the contentment and the satisfaction that he offers. He didn't just clear the first 50 feet on the other side of the cross. He said, man, I'm clearing the whole way so that you can take the royal route to heaven and have that growth, have that momentum, have that development in your life uh, because that's what he wants for us. But it's on us whether we're gonna be like Caleb who took his inheritance or if we're gonna be like one of the other Israelite tribes who inexplicably and without any reason just chose not to take their allotment in the promised land. Remember that at the end of Joshua? Joshua. You have a few tribes and a few guys who said, yeah, I'm gonna do what God has given me. I'm gonna take my inheritance. I'm gonna go and conquer that land because the Lord has given it to me and he's enabled me to take it. And then you had the majority of the tribe who just for no reason said, no, thank you. I'm just gonna, they just sat around inexplicably. And Joshua had to come to him and say, what are you guys doing? You guys should be in there taking your inheritance, taking what has been promised to you. And so move boldly forward in your Christianity today. Grow and progress. How do we do that? Well, take the three tests given in this text as a starting point. Increase your understanding of God's word. Increase your reliance on the Holy Spirit in your decision-making and in discernment and get your questions answered so that you can answer them when someone asks you. Those are three good starting points today. Time to grow up. Amen.